I'll be too nervous to. I'll probably lost the words. Welcome to the Lost Words Podcast. I'm joined by a guest today, three-time European Tour winner, Richie Ramsey. Richie, thank you for coming on. No worries. No, thanks for having me. Yeah, and uh, you've just come back from the Middle East. It's been a, it's been a tough you know, 18 months or so in golf and, and the world in general. Um, how was it to get back out there in the Middle East and start off your 2021 season? Yeah, it was also great to get back out in, in nice weather. And I think... Um, you know, everybody who goes to the Middle East um, or has been to the Middle East would understand that at this time of year it's a great place to go and um, for particularly for golf professionals it's brilliant because of the the weather and the and the, the standard of courses and the, the strength of fields and the tournaments we have so um, yeah it's the ideal place to start your uh, to start your year uh, minimal travel which helps specifically in these times and um not the not the results i wanted but um a lot of positives within within those first three events yeah and that's the thing isn't it from from the outside looking in we can't tell if there's a couple of bad results but for you to be able to see the goals and the things that you're putting into place it's nice for you to have a foundation and get going once the uh, the tour resumes again yeah definitely it's um it's sometimes tricky because you haven't been playing, so you're, you're trying to get what I would say is a bit like a footballer, like match fit. You're trying to get sort of tournament fit, um, and you're trying to see where your game's at. I felt my game was in a really good place, and I was really, really happy with it the week before Abu Dhabi, and, and particularly the week of Abu Dhabi. Um, but that drifted off a little bit in the in Dubai, and then in Saudi was was really poor. Um, not exactly sure why but um yeah there's there is some there is some positives in there with the way i was swinging it and and um the kind of the day-to-day stuff that i was doing i felt was the right stuff yeah and how hard is that to manage that when you you know there's good things going on the practice has been good you know the work you've put in you can see positive results and then to go out there and and the result doesn't come as you'd like is it is it okay now? I think you're you know experienced enough on tour that you can kind of get through those ebbs and flows and know that the good stuff's coming. Um, yeah, it's, it's it's incredibly frustrating. Um, you know, it's it, it's very easy to get knocked off track. So you know you can be working on something for a long time and then if it not to work out straight away, the idea is you know sometimes you're like, well, do I ditch it? But you you kind of got to stick to your guns and back yourself. Yeah. yeah. Um and you know, I I I've always said even to anybody that'll ask me now, you know, what's the what's one of the things you have to do to be successful or you feel like you'd be successful and I think it's to surround yourself with positive people, um and people who are honest with you and who are knowledgeable about the game and and it's at those particular times, there's numerous times, but one of those times is, is like you say, when you're doing a lot of stuff and you're not getting the results you want, is to speak to someone and for them to understand um, where you're at and to, you know, maybe talk for you or through things that you haven't thought about and to sort of get things off your chest and discuss it 
Um, and it's just like anything in life, you know, you, when you discuss things and talk it through, particularly in in a a rational way. So you, it's you know when you come off a golf course, it's very hard to just do that. So you sort of attach emotion to it. Um, speak to someone who's knowledgeable and talk through it and understand what's happening and feel like you're on the right path. And I think it just gives you a little nice little reset button. Yeah, absolutely. And I think you spoke about there of surrounding yourself by people you trust and people that keep it positive. And you've had a you know long lasting relationship with your coach Ian Ray for you know virtually the majority of your career. And is that something that you've just never wanted to stray behind because you know how each other work? You trust his you know his advice explicitly and. And, you know, that just having knowing what you're going to get when you speak to Ian each week is going to obviously help the confidence going forward. Yeah, definitely. Um, he's always worked really hard and his knowledge is is right up there with anybody else's. Um, you know, he's honest um, about about what we're doing and about and he understands um, my what my defaults are. Yeah. So, you know, a lot of time he would sort of say something to me, and I would, I would come to the, the the the, the solution to the problem, but he would lead me there. Yeah, absolutely. Because I'd be like, oh yeah, that's just my default that I go back to, isn't it? And he's like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, because it's it's one of those things that coaches can't be there all the time. I'm not one of these people who need someone there every week. But it's it's almost to the point where you need to be able to manage your game yourself a little bit, and you can't always rely on someone. So um, he helps tremendously in that. I've I've also got a few other people who you know who who are honest with me and and can discuss things on a golf and even on a business uh, side of things. So. Um, yeah, I'm fortunate in that in that respect. Yeah, and like you say, you don't really get um, a chance really to have coaching there all the time because you get into a tournament, you finish the tournament on a Sunday, if you've played well right up until connection, you're there late, flying to another one on Monday, and you've kind of got Monday, Tuesday to, to prepare. That's not really enough time to make wholesale changes, is it? So you'd have to take almost weeks off to implement any changes. So it's, get, it's best to kind of get your... Your, your swing work done maybe at the start of the year or in a run of events that you've got off and then kind of implement them when you get to the event yourself yeah we, we are very um, when I say we, me and Ian we, I always believe that when you get to a tournament yeah there's small things you can change your mindset's a big thing um and there's there's sometimes you find little feelings, little movements, which are important. But the the lion's share of the work is always really done away from the the tournament. And um, when I started off on tour, I managed to speak to a couple of more experienced people like Mark Keimer and I think it was Westwood. And and they always made the point, you know, you never see top players standing there just hitting ball after ball after ball. Yeah, absolutely. Um, a lot of the time they're there, they've done their hard work. They're trying to fine tune their game. Get you know a lot of the time it's you know short game work um, and just finding where you want to be um, and trying to 
conserve your energy because come Thursday, if you want to play well and you want to be in contention, you're going to need that energy because you're going to have four days of of golf. And what a lot of people don't, what a lot of people forget is that if you are playing well and say you're playing in the later groups on a Saturday or Sunday, um, now in the Middle East that tee off would be about twelve thirty one o'clock. So if you wake up at 7.30 in the morning and you've got all that time your mind's you know processing stuff so that takes up a lot of energy um, and that's why I always think you know someone said to me what's the hardest one to win and I said the hardest one that I've won is when I've gone pretty much wire to wire I yeah. learned from, from day one because your, your mind thinking about that all the time so that amount of energy and stress you're putting on yourself it's not just one or two days when you kind of, you know, you've started off in 20th and slowly moved up and you've kind of got in a nice position come Sunday. It's it's every day. Um, and uh, and that's, that's, a, that's a mentally... Um, mentally, that's a, that's a tough thing to deal with. Yeah, and I think you know, from the research I've done and looking back through your career, I can, you can kind of see that, that sometimes you preferred like you say, growing into a tournament from a Thursday and having not a slow start, but a steadier start as opposed to, you know, obviously everyone wants to go and shoot the lowest score they can on the Thursday and progress, but it almost seems to be that if you shot, you know, through 36 holes, you were right up there and in contention. You almost found it harder on a Saturday and Sunday to, to keep that going as opposed to when you steadily grew through the tournament. Would you say that's a fair assessment? Yeah, that's probably right. I think I've always been one of these people who is quite consistent and I would build scores Yeah. rather than I'm not really going to overpower a golf course, um, particularly these days. <laughs> um, and yeah, building scores is an art and I need to be a little bit better than that. I was really good when I, when I started very consistent. Um, I need to be a little bit more like that at the moment um but it's yeah something that i always I, f I felt the harder thing was not playing the last 18 holes being in contention it was sometimes making sure you had that real good attitude on the thursday morning when it was go time yeah so um so that was something that i improved upon once i got a little bit more experience yeah, let's take you right back to the very beginning. Then we talk about experience. You, you sort of alluded to your early career there. Um, stellar amateur career. You won the Scottish Am Open Stroke Play, uh, the Irish Am Open Championship, which obviously got you into the 2005 Walker Cup. Um, the one thing I noticed about the Walker Cup week, you were there, but I felt like you, you, you didn't actually get a chance to play a singles match, which I found quite strange considering your record and what you had done previously in your amateur career, that, that they didn't use you in those singles matches because I think that you'd have gone toe-to-toe -to -toe with people very well as we'd later see in the 2006 US Amateur did you did you find that quite difficult to deal with at the end of the week um it was it was frustrating there's no doubt about it um you know I think we were I think I've always believed that once you're in a team you need to focus on what you can do your best in order but in, in, in sort of cohesion with the team because I think when you go there it doesn't matter if 
you know, if you guys lose, as long as the team wins, that's the you know the whole objective at the week is to win. Yeah. Um. So for me, the the biggest disappointment was 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 losing, as as a team. And I think yeah. we, I think we had a really good team. I think we all got along. We all got along really well. Um, the golf course was definitely set up for the Americans. Um, yeah, pers- personally, um, when I look back on it, it, w- it was disappointing. Um, now I know what I know about leading people and captains and things and um, being under different captains and different leaders. Um, I would have done things differently. It wasn't the, if I was honest, it wasn't the best leadership. We had yeah. a different, we had a, a different captain in Colin Douglas, I think the year after, which was the St. Andrews trophy, which is, um, GB and I versus continent of Europe. Yeah. And, um, and that really opened my eyes to, the difference of captains and how much how much of a difference that can make to the team. Um, I think I think the that year when we played Continent of Europe, we played really well. We had a fantastic team. We had like arguably one of the best teams ever, um, and we had a good captain Colin Douglas, and I think that made a huge difference. Whereas before, I would say I didn't feel like the selectors rated me um, personally um, and confidence is is such a huge part like I've said in this game and I, I just didn't feel like I was they, I didn't really feel like they wanted me to be there if I was honest um, but the, the whole experience the team, the team bonding and stuff that we had just within our Within our guys was brilliant. I, you know, I really kind of I, I miss I miss that. I really miss the, the team events. That's the one thing about being a pro that I don't like is not being in a, a, a team environment. Really. Yeah, um, and I think I think a lot of people do say that. I mean, Ian Poulter speaks about how he sort of revels and we see it in his game that he loves the team events over single events, and it's hard. Although. I was just alluding to there that, you know, it was your individual and disappointment maybe that you didn't get to play the singles. But the main thing behind it was that you felt like you couldn't give the team what it needed, i.e. if you could have gone out there and, and done your played your game the way you do. I mean, you hit countless amounts of greens. It's just always going to be in there, always going to be making it a hard match for somebody. That's going to really boost a team. I think, you know, you could have got a win in the, in the early session that could have you know, help the team along. I mean, again, the course was set up for the Americans. It's always hard to play Walker Cups in America. So, you know, maybe the result wouldn't have been different, but at least you could have felt like you could have contributed. And I think that must be the toughest part of it is you just weren't given the opportunity. Yeah, that that, that was tricky. Um, but I remember... And I'm, I, I never... The one thing we had was we, we had a couple times and this happened prior to uh playing the walker cup was that playing for scotland a couple of times where there was guys left out and guy and and when you're left out of a team you have a choice and the choice is you kind of 
either mope about it and and get upset about it or you kind of back the guys you know like what can i do to help the guys who are who are going out and playing yeah um and i probably never appreciated the power of that until i was watching i think it was in there's the great documentary the the um the 1997 lions tour um and I remember when they picked the test squad because obviously it's a huge group of guys. Yeah. They picked the test squad, and obviously everybody's fighting for a spot. And although they've been playing county games or or district games, everybody wants a a, a spot in in the test side. That's the real goal you're you're there for. Um. But I remember when the coaches always said, uh, I think it was Ian McGeekin said. The next lines to he said the the reason we picked a couple of players, um, yeah, they were great, but they showed they were a true line because when they didn't get picked for the position, the first thing they did is they went to their teammate who was in the same position and said, "Listen, you've been picked for Saturday. What can I do to to help your preparation?" And he said that was the that was the essence of a true lion. Yeah. And I thought, and I thought to myself, thinking back, the way we we'd done it in a, in a in a Scotland team, is that when we had a really good Scotland team for the home internationals, we'd always had that where guys got left out, and we were quite we had such a strong team that you could leave out multiple guys, so it was it was almost like a rotation, um, and nobody ever complained. They always got behind the team, they always supported the team, and I think that's why our team was so good. Um, but it, but that Lions, watching that DVD really kind of hammered it forward because although you're playing home at Nationals, it's amateur golf. These guys are the best players in the world going up against, you know, South Africa in down in South Africa, and you know they're fighting tooth and nail for their spots, but they're giving, you know, they're leaving their egos aside and saying, listen, this guy's got the spot. I was I just want the team to win. It's all about the team. It's all about coming here. It's all about getting the win. You know, it's not about individual stuff. Yeah, and, and just hearing you speak about how passionate you feel about a team environment, it must be. I think I've heard in interviews with yourself before that one of your your regrets, if you look back on your golf career, is that you haven't been a part of a Ryder Cup team um, as you've turned professional. Because especially considering when that will go on to that 2006 US Amateur win, I mean, the people that you beat to get to that final, you beat Ricky Fowler in the quarterfinal, Webb Simpson in the semi-final, doing so. Um, with a couple of rules infractions in between as well, but you never, I think it, I think you just kind of never um, were behind after a seventh hole throughout that whole US amateur. So, generally speaking, you're ahead most of the time and and didn't really give others a look in. And I think that's just the nature of your consistency to pound greens and, and really not really give someone else a look in. Yeah, I've got, I'm quite, I'm quite dogged, I would say, and 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 that's. You know, I'm I'm stubborn in a yeah. way. And sometimes maybe that helps in in match because it just kind of you stick to your guns. You have a game plan and you stick to it. And um, yeah, something like the what they used to play, the Vivendi or the Royal Trophy, I would have loved to play in. Um, and 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 I, I I sort of truly believe that it won't happen this year and maybe not next year but sometime down the line um that team format will expand um 
you know, you're never going to be able to replace the Ryder Cup or the Sewing Cup or the Presidents Cup, but you know, some kind of team format. Like I think they're trying to put in this new women's um, I think Performance Fifty Four are putting this new women's uh, sort of series together, which is, I think it's Jeddah, New York, Singapore, and London. Yeah. Um, and I think that's some form of, of team format where you almost have a captain and they pick, you know, they pick um, three players and you, and you may be playing as an individual, but within that, you're playing within a team. So it might be the best three out of four scores count. Um a bit like the old, you know, the the old Dunhill Cup, where I yeah. used to go there and watch that, and that was brilliant. That was absolutely fantastic, especially around the old course, because on the old course you could, you know, you could finish three, 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 but you could finish five, seven, five, uh, four, you know. So there was always, because it was medal match play, it was always to the eighteenth, and um, even though you're four behind, there was always a glimmer because you know the roto was there that. Um, <laughs> You could you could recover that. Yeah, absolutely. And just just not to obviously glaze over the US amateur because that was you were the first uh, British and Scottish player to actually win that title for I think it was nearly a hundred years. How special was it to put your name on a trophy like that? Because some of the greats have really etched their, their history by winning that tournament before turning professional. Yeah, it was really cool. I, I didn't, I probably didn't understand the significance of it until after yeah uh, until maybe came home um you know really just just looking at, at some footage you know they also had footage of jones and um and obviously tiger winning and mickelson and some of the guys winning and that was really really cool because you kind of you, you're etching your name in a bit of history there um, which was which was really neat, and um, yeah, just something that I'll always be able to look back on fondly, and and something that like I can nobody can ever take away. And and when you look at it, you know it's arguably the hardest amateur tournament to win, um, and yeah, very very proud of it. Very proud of as as proud as that. Um, than than the three times that I've won, won on tour, so um, it's right up there. Yeah, and then also the the short term advantages winning that tournament, you got you into the Masters and the Open Championship, obviously with great experiences. Again, you didn't maybe have the results you wanted to, but I mean, imagine going to Augusta and you know Magnolia Lane, and I think you've got a fantastic story of taking a bit of Phil Mickelson's money on on at Augusta. Was it on the back nine that you to, you managed to yeah. win a bet off him? And I imagine that must have been a great week for you. Yeah, those those experiences were were brilliant. I was obviously very disappointed with the um, with the results in each of them. Um, and, and looking back and the way I did it, I would change a few things now. Um, but you've got limitations when you're that age, and you and I was still at university, and there was a lot of there was a lot of other stuff that was going on. Um, uh, but it was from a, a life perspective and experience and learning uh, and learning quickly that was that was really important. So it was so getting the 
getting in that position to play against world-class fields and understanding what they do and understanding what I do and trying to analyse the difference between their game and my game and realise, like, okay, like, this is where I'm at. Where do I need to get to? Um, and I feel that helped me when I turned pro and it helped me be, ultimately be a better player. Yeah, and I think you, you sort of spoke about some of the shots that Mickelson famously shoots around those greens at Augusta, and you look at him thinking, what on earth is he doing there? And then when he pulls it off, maybe knowing that that's the difference between where you're at and where he was at currently with his game. Yeah, I think um, the one thing I've always I've always felt is quite funny, and and maybe this is the difference between where he's at and and where I'm at and where I'm at and where a normal golfer's at, is that when you play with a lot of guys, um, say it could be wearing a golf club, and they're kind of like, you know, they're they're trying like anything, you know, to play well, and you're kind of just not in there, and they're kind of coming off, and they're like, oh, I think I could do what you do, you know? Um but it's doing it under the gun, yeah, you know, yeah. doing it under the gun. That's the difference. And and um, and when I played Augusta, I played really well tee to green. Um, but looking back, not just Augusta, but that year, there was I needed to be, I needed to have that element of arrogance added into my game. And that's and and, and Mickelson had that, not arrogance, but just that level of confidence that you're like, well, you know, I've gone out and practiced shots. Why not just do it? You know, um, and and some of the shots he executed were there were high risk shots, but for him, he's probably been there a million times and done it. And um, and it, it's doing it under the gun, you know, absolutely doing it under the gun, and that takes a lot of practice and effort. Um, and I always, I always find it funny when people say, "Oh, I could, yeah, I could have probably been a pro." <laughs> yeah, like and it's I, the simplest thing in the world. Yeah, and I was like, you know, I used to sort of just, I used to sort of say, "Yeah, yeah, probably, yeah." <laughs> and then, but, but now I just, I'm just honest, and just go, "No, I don't think you could." <laughs> like, I mean, let's be honest. Like, if you're saying you had the opportunity. Why, Why didn't, didn't you? you do it? Yeah. Oh well, I, well, I didn't. Ah, oh, you know, I didn't. I could have. I could have done that, but I didn't want to do this. Well, there you go. That's why you didn't do it. Yeah. I didn't sacrifice this, and and I think that's what a lot of people forget is that. You know, we're in a fortunate position. We made it on tour, and um, we're out there playing. But it takes years and years of work to get out there, and there's a lot of guys I know that. Um, have worked and sacrificed and still haven't made it out there. Um, so it's 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 kind of like a, it's not just like oh you go to tour school you got on there. It's like you know for me it's like since I've been fourteen I've worked towards it. Yeah. I didn't turn pro till I was twenty four. So there's ten years right there. Absolutely. And that's it. I mean, there's fine lines, isn't there, between talent level of of making it, and not making it. But I think the extra work and perseverance that you put in, like you're saying, there is 
is probably a difference. Not to say that there are there are not people out there that have worked hard and still haven't made it. Maybe their talent level wasn't quite what it needs to be. But generally speaking, I think the, the hard workers separate themselves very quickly between the amateur and professional ranks. Yeah, I would... You know, my caddy's been around for a long time and I think he would say that um, even now you, a lot of guys have talent um, but if you just rest on that talent you ain't going to do anything because yeah, there's, there's too many guys now that the, the strength and depth um, is right there and you know, if if you just sort of rest on your laurels and don't put in the don't put in the effort, then it's going to become an issue. How quickly then did you? Because your first your first event as a pro was the Russian Open. You finished tied fifty third there. But were you surprised? Because then you went on to the Challenge Tour and you had a T twenty four finished seventeenth, and you had a run of fifth, eleventh, eighth, and second um, on the Challenge Tour in that two thousand seven season. Were you surprised how quickly you adapted to the professional level? I know it wasn't on the European tour, but you know, mm-hmm. you were still playing in a in a professional setting. Um, honestly, not not really, because I remember I remember having a discussion with my coach in about July, and he said to me, uh, because I hadn't been having the results that I felt I needed, and I kind of sat down and thought about it a little bit and thought, like, what am I doing? You know, traveling back and forth from America a lot and this is not ideal and I'm kind of you know one week I'm playing in America and the next week I'm coming back and playing an amateur event on, on links and it's kind of it, you are young so you can withstand it but you know looking back on it trying to juggle it is it's like spinning two plates you know yeah, yeah. you're always one's you're never putting your full energy into one um, and what I realized is that I'd kind of felt like I'd done everything in the amateur game and I was plateauing a bit and I needed a new challenge and I needed a little bit more stability. Um, and I also felt that I backed myself, I also felt that my game was, was very, very close to where it wanted to be, a little bit like I was talking about at these last three events. Yeah. yeah. Um, so when I played well, I didn't really... St- surprised myself because I felt it I felt it had been coming and it was just a matter of time and I just changed a few things with regards to um, obviously less travel um, a, a little bit more idea of what I was doing and what I was going to play in and how I would approach things um, and that that made it that made a huge difference and um, one thing that a lot of people don't talk about is that, that year was a Walker Cup year, um, and when I turned pro, a lot of people criticised me because they said, "Oh, we turned pro, you're not staying for the Walker Cup." Well, I'd already played a Walker Cup. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And and my goal was at the start of the year was to um, really by the end of the year was to gain. Uh, status on the European Tour in some shape or form, and that and whether that be Challenge Tour um, or the main tour, it didn't matter. It's to get some kind of status so you could build the schedule for the following year. So when I turned pro, um, 
it gave me about a three-month head start on all the other guys who were in the Walker Cup, who were staying on till mid-September, who then had only limited invites to the Challenge Tour. And, and, and I knew that if I turned pro, because of my record with the US Amateur, I could, I could get quite a few invites. Yeah, of course. Um, and that would give me good experience of playing on the Challenge Tour and also give me the chance to rack up some points and get and get status, which was, you ask any pro statuses, you know, if you get, matters. yeah, yeah you, you, need, you need money to play um, and you need status. And if you take one of those away, you're, you're, you're stuck. Yeah, absolutely. Because you can have status, but if you can't, if you can't pay can't for it, yourself. <laughs> you're goosed. Um, but you can have all the money in the world, but if you can't get a start in a tournament or have status, then it's worthless. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I felt that was a, the best thing to do, and and I, I played good. I was helped out by a mentor of mine in in New York, at a critical point there when I I struggled to um to cover uh, some of the costs. Yeah. Uh, uh, and that made a huge difference. Yeah, and then obviously you very quickly you've indicated the decision because 2008 was, you know, somewhat of a breakthrough year. Two Challenge Tour victories, another second and a third as well. Um, absolutely phenomenal season, really, by all accounts. I know, obviously, you you said you started when you were 24, and and some of these guys start even earlier now. But that must have been, you know, pretty vindicating for you to say right well I took that decision after all those people criticised me from going from the Walker Cup uh, or avoiding the Walker Cup and to turn pro you go and you play as well as you did in 2007 then follow that right back up in 2008 getting yourself onto the European Tour where you wanted to be and I suppose even by the end of that season you were like right well I'm ready for the next step as I hoped I would be yeah I mean to, the, the, the one thing that I would say and about 2008 was I played great but what a lot of people forget is that this was maybe a little bit stupid on my on my side. Was <laughs> I went and played a five-a-side match with some mates, and I went for a tackle, and as I was getting up from the tackle, I rolled over, um, and I felt a little pinch in the side of my chest. Oh no! Nice. And, and then when I woke up the next day, I couldn't get out of bed. I'd torn an intercostal muscle. Now anybody who's so basically between your your ribs. Yeah. You've got intercostal muscles. Now, if you sneeze, <laughs> it's like a golf club. Yeah, it is unbelievably sore. And if you try and like drive a car, if you try and look over your shoulder, it is unbelievably sore. And I was out for six weeks with that, so I didn't play in about. I missed about at least four or five tournaments, and obviously came back from that. And uh, so, so that season was under the circumstances brilliant for me i mean that was that was great considering what happened in the middle so what you're saying there is you could have been a three or four time winner really if you didn't go and play five as your mates and uh and stay yeah. clear of that yeah yeah i didn't i didn't play football after that i can't do that 2009 european tour you get off to you know a fairly slow start i imagine by your high expectations considering what you'd done previously in the previous seasons um but once you did 
get settled. There was a 14th place finish at the Italian Open. Um, and that, I think, really sort of gave you an insight of what you did. The 18th of the European Open, 10th at Celtic Manor, where you'd led after 36 holes. And all those experiences, I think, sort of led you towards uh, the victory that you had later on that year. Yeah, that was... Um... That was a, a tricky year, kind of. Uh, it, it's never the first year in tour is the hardest. Yeah. Like, tour because you, you're, you're, everybody thinks from the outside, right? You're on tour, you've made it. That's all right. But th- that's kind of really where the hardest work begins because you're playing in the lesser tournaments for li- for limited money. So you really need to make a splash when you do, um, and. Uh, yeah, I played really good in the Dunhill um, at the end of the year, and that was just kind of defining, had a, probably a defining moment in my career because that secured everything, and and it gave me, it probably gave me the belief um, that I needed to go on and win later on in Pearl Valley. Um and then it gave me the belief in the in the, the and that it's, it's sort of like a snowball effect. It gave me that um, little bit of extra swagger that I think you need uh, to go on and play well the next few years and kind of get in contention and 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 not really worry about it. I think contention is a, is a difficult thing. You need to you need to sometimes lose to win. Um, it's not often guys go out there and win and they're in contention straight away. Um, and I learned a lot at the Dunhill and, and, and that, that particular year and that held me in good stead when I uh, when I played at Pearl Valley, particularly the back nine there and particularly in the playoff. Yeah, and that was the thing. I've got a note here. Obviously, you were tied for lead after 36 at the Dunhill and then you were two behind going into the final round. And not only have you got the sort of not the pressure, but the excitement of maybe getting your first win on tour, but it's also coming in an event that I'm sure is very dear to your heart and, you know, being in your home country in front of fans, etc. You know, that must have been almost the the dream start to winning on the European tour if it, if it happened. Does that sort of thing allow, do you sort of allow that into your mind going into Sunday and, and kind of distract you or are you kind of quite driven and focused and just job at hand? Oh, no, you think about it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah no doubt you think about it. I still think about it today. I still think about I've been fortunate to be in contention and done it a couple of times. I still, it's the one, it's the one thing that really kind of take the team element out of it. Yeah, it it still, um, it still sort of fuels me because to win at St Andrews is it's a very very special place, and I've kind of learned over the last four or five years more about the golf course and more about how it's the genius of of its design and how enjoyable it is to play the course um, and, and to play it in the Dunhill is really cool because they always get a really good field there and it's you know it's it's just you get to play Carnoustie and Kings Barnes as well and it's just a really really cool week Um it can be cold, but it's a cool week. <laughs> and uh, and to walk up that last hole with a chance to win is 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 a is a really neat feeling. 
Yeah, absolutely. And like you say, you alluded to there, that's that kind of put you in good stead for the South African Championship where you're actually five back going into Sunday. It's a slightly different way of entering, uh, you know, the chance to win, um, shoot the round of the day and then beat Shiv Kapoor in the playoff. What was it like to do it for the first time in a playoff? Was there any different feelings doing it that way? Is it like, because, you know, you go from doing it against a field and, and trying to post the best score to, you know, head to head against one other person that's shot the same score. Is there any different feelings and, and more satisfaction getting it done that way or anything? I think in a playoff, you've got nothing to lose because you, you're just you two. It, 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 it sounds obvious. Um, But when you when you're in a playoff, and particularly when there's only two of you, um, well, I suppose it could be three. It doesn't really matter. You're either going to win or you're going to lose. <laughs> so there's, there's there's only two options. So if you understand that, you all you have to do is put all your focus on winning. So you can't think about the I don't want to do that. I don't want to do this. And that's what I did. I put all my focus on. I want. To, I do want to do this. I'm I, like I was, I was convinced, uh, and I've been in other playoffs that that I've lost. But every time I stood in that tee, I've com- convinced I was going to win. Absolutely convinced. Um, Does that go back to your match play pedigree of how well you performed in the US Amateur and seeing and believing that you can just stare down some of the best golfers at the time and and do it one on one? Do you get that? feeling that it's stood you in good step maybe for that first playoff win? Yeah, I, I have this... Um, I don't always get it. <laughs> but I have this kind of... Uh, people talk about being in the zone. I don't know what, what you would call it. But I, I have these times where I play and I just feel like I can kind of do almost... Anything I see holes there. I see every hole as a birdie hole. Like I remember yeah. the I remember the back nine at Pearl Valley. I just saw every hole. I just thought, I just go and birdie this hole. What I'm just going to hit it on the fairway. I'm going to hit eight iron on the green. I'm going to make a birdie. And then that, next hole, I just look at it and think, oh, hit driver here, right? I, you know, hit a four iron in. You know, I can make birdie there. And 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 I just it just your my, my mind just works that way sometimes. And it's a great position to be in, um, and uh, I just I had that viewpoint. I remember at Pearl Valley in the back nine, and I continued that in the playoff. And I had it was a very similar feeling. Yeah, when I was at the US Amateur, I had a clear idea of what I wanted to do and how I was going to do it, and. Um, Sometimes it's easier having, you know, one direction to choose. So, so some, so some guys will maybe say, you know, I was leading, going into the last round, I was leading by four shots, and yeah. and and, you know, the idea is, you know, well, what do you do? Do do you play really aggressive, or do you play super conservative, or do you just play the same game? you've played the last three days it got you in the position so there's all these options and you have to kind of pick one and some people flutter between maybe the three yeah but if you said to someone who was in second position 
and you were four back, what do you need to do to you know, accomplish your goal today? And, well, the goal is to win. Well, I need to catch the guy in front of me. So I need to make birdies. So I need to play aggressive. So it's quite simple. Um, and it, it's kind of like to break that down, what I talk to Ian, my coach, a lot about is that um, you know we have a direction we want to go to. And if you've got a map about that direction you want to go in, it's very easy to get there. Um, if you know which road to pick, you know the direction you want. It's simple, but if you have no map and there's there's all these different options, sometimes you don't know which direction to go in. Um, and and that is not just about golf. It's about everything in life. It's about making decisions day to day. You know, we all get options. Um, comes back to a little bit about the people that I used to play with who say, oh, yeah, well, I could have been a pro. <laughs> I just I just say now no because you each day you make decisions in your life and and those decisions day by day week by week month by month year by year they'll they'll shape you they'll shape what you do and where you end up um, and you have to be pretty diligent and in, in making those decisions um, and I think normally the the best players in the world make them on a on a daily basis. Yeah, absolutely. You get that win there. Is there any when you're going into 2010, the calendar year? Did, is there any? Do you put any pressure on yourself to go beyond what you've just achieved? You've got that first win. Do you think to yourself, right? I need to go and win a bigger event. I need to go and win two events. I need to go because you know you had a, a steady year. You had some good results, especially in the in the WGC where you finished third at the HSBC Champions. It was a, by all accounts a good year. But does anything other than the winning season after you've done it the year before feel disappointing to yourself um yeah it's, it's tough to know where to go because it's like it's like you know you've always wanted to win on tour so you, so you get up to that point and you, you you're sitting on that top of that pedestal and you're looking around and you got a trophy and you're like you're great but then to use the the description you're like you know what what road do i go on now i don't know yeah. where where I've always had that clear direction and I need to pick a new road I need to pick a new direction um, and uh, and that again that comes back to surrounding yourself with good people and, and, and them helping you make that decision um, yeah you want to you feel like you should kick on and improve and win a bigger event but in golf it's, it's not always like that <laughs> I think in 2011 as well, you had a really good start to the season. Um, you had two top 10s and two top 15s by May. And one of those was a tied seventh in Morocco. We had a really good weekend. And, and the reason I wanted to highlight that is because obviously Morocco is somewhere that you did win on tour uh, in 2015. Did you pick up anything from that, the weekend that you played there that made you think, right, every time I come back here now, I feel like I've got a chance? Um, so I played in Morocco with the Scotland team uh, before and I played there I think I played a challenge tour event in Morocco and and the, the courses in Morocco are almost every one I've played are notoriously quite tight yeah yep. you generally have a breeze that comes off 
the water and they generally play firm and fast um, and all those things play into my hands yeah and uh, I always felt comfortable playing those golf courses because I felt like I had an not an advantage, but I felt that my skill set suited those golf courses, um, and so it was. Morocco is a is a incredibly underestimated place to play golf. It's probably one of the best. I mean, some of the golf courses there are incredible. Um, yes, some of them are set in palaces, and you know, <laughs> get to play them. But um, there's also ones that are out with that, and you will get to play them. Um, just, just, just going there. So, um, it's a really cool place to play golf, and um, it's got a fantastic array of of different courses. Yeah, and you you speak about those types of golf courses that suit you, and you had another chance to win in France um, at the Open de France, where that you know that's notorious for being accurate. And again, it comes straight into your game, as does Valderrama, another place where you, you you've had you know times where you've had a chance to win and. And do you do you circle those events knowing that they are perfect for your game because you're not not the longest off the tee. I think you you you're long enough, and and you, but more importantly, you're straight, and your greens and regulation numbers have always been in the top, you know, ten, top fifteen most years on European tour, and that really is obviously a skill of yours. Yeah, it's um, you know, I saw the I saw the the Kisner clip the other. <laughs> yeah. Right. Where can you where can you win? <laughs> and um, yeah, that rings true for me. I, I I when I when I saw that, I was like, I I get what you're saying, mate. Like I'm on the same wavelength <laughs> as you. Um, the game's changed. Uh, there are certain places where you have to be really incredible. Like I mean, th- there's anomalies like. Like people look at top players and they'll talk about Rory and and uh, Justin Thomas and that, but you know, look at Matt Fitzpatrick. Um, yeah, of course. He won the race Dubai, and on a golf course, it probably doesn't favour. I wouldn't say he's, sh- he's short, but he's but there's a lot of guys who hit it a long way. Um, but but he maximises uh, his ability in the areas that he needs to uh, in order to win tournaments and he's a very good example of a, a, what I would say is a slight outlier of the modern player um, but he is a fantastic player and someone that shows that yeah on, on certain types of golf courses nine times out of ten you will have a certain type of player but there are times where you know, uh, a medium hitter that's accurate and stuff can can really be really good on the greens or excellent hitting into the greens and and gain a lot of strokes. So, um, yeah, it's just it's just a consequence of the way the game's gone and and probably the types of courses we play. We don't play, you know, we don't play, you know, Sunningdale. We don't play Walton Heath anymore because of the because of the qualifying for um, the the US Open because they had to take the qualifying away. But you know, we used to get to Sunningdale, and everybody used to 
go, oh, look at it, you know, it's whatever, 7,000 yards. It'll play quite firm and fast, so it'll play quite short. Yeah, qualifying score will be like 8, 9 under. <laughs> it was like 4 or 5 all the time. All the time. Because it played firm and fast. If you were offline or you were in a tough spot, particularly in that header, you were going to struggle. Um, and it's just a very good example of uh, a golf course that needs patience and can't really be overpowered and you need to understand the lines in this and, and the strategy to it in order to be successful yeah absolutely and you talk about sort of shorter and tighter golf courses your next win comes at the European Masters at Cran Sessier and that's a you know anyone that gets to watch golf absolutely falls in love with the views that you get there and I'm sure that helps you as a as a player when you're there you kind of chill out and relax and, and take it all in but that golf course again was something that would suit you and and you just had an electric week there you shot 64 66 over the weekend uh to finish four clear of Romain Wattel who you beat again later on by the way he probably you know dislikes you somewhat but it, 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 Morocco, it yeah. yeah it's it's uh it's quite amazing like you say that although you say that there are certain golf courses you can't win on when you've had the opportunity and the golf course does suit over the years you have taken advantage of that and and definitely put together a lot of strong results and one of the the things i think is maybe underrated about your game that I think it's underrated about a lot of players' games is the longevity of it. You've been on ever since you've been on tour, you've stayed on tour. Even you've had some injury troubles and things like that. But these wins that you've banked when the situation suits, and you know, and you've taken it. You know, you spoke earlier about when you get onto a bit of form, you carry that on. Those moments of what really kept you going for for the period of time that it has. Yeah, that is a you know, like the the, the Charles Howell thing. You know, whatever. I can't remember how many years he's been on tour or whatever. It's like twenty years, and he's made a million dollars every year. It's not the, it's not the, you know, for 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 people from the outside, they would look at that and go, a million dollars every year. Oh, that's that's brilliant. But for professionals, I look at that as going, well, a million dollars every year. I said he's got to be. I mean, that's a lot of good finishes. He's got the consistency in that, and the longevity is incredible. It's you know, people like Rafael Jacqueline, Stephen Gallagher. Um, I mean, to do that week in, week out, to have the mental fortitude, that, that's, a, that's, you know, that's one of the things I'm really proud of, that I've been out there for you. And just, I mean, okay, I went to Pro 2009, a European tour, but turned Pro 2007. So it's, you know, you're heading, I'm heading up there for, you know, next year's going to be 15 years. And I'd like to think I'd, I'd been have a high enough world rank and I'd be considered sort of world class and it's not often you can do that for 15 years um, or 14 years as it is um, and be be relevant yeah absolutely and and that's the thing you talk about keeping on form as well because I think you see a lot of golfers that kind of they have one good week and, and they can't quite carry that on when you talk about that win at the European Masters, you finished sixth at the Johnny Walker the week before, second in Holland, I think it was two weeks later, and second again at the Hero Indian Open, which actually one of your uh, your playoff losses, unfortunately. But you just kind of, you can keep that run of form and you get it. You seem to be able to run with it 
and I think that speaks to again your your overall longevity on the tour. Yeah, it's uh, I kind of feel like I'm, I've always been very good at, at sometimes over analysing um, can be a weakness of mine, but analysing my game and, and realizing when I've been in a good place and sometimes. When you're in that good place, you just need to let it run. You can't wait for the next tournament. You want to get there. You realise, right, I, I just need to go out there, play the golf course, a little bit of practice, and then just rest up. Because like you're like, my game's right there. Just get me to the start line, <laughs> and I'm going to play well. Um, and again, it comes back to the kind of attitude element and, and what I said at the start of the interviews that your mind is the most important thing and um and and when you're in a good when you're in a good place i think not just on the golf course but off the golf course uh golf can you know, golf can really really uh, flourish yeah and i think the other thing that was really impressive i was looking back through the results from through the years when it goes 2014 you didn't actually get started until march that year i think you must have had some injury problems there and you finished 11th in Morocco, finished again second on the Challenge Tour, fifth at the Open de Espana, and then, and then later on you go on a little run there at the fourth at the Italian Open, eighth at the European Masters, ninth at the KLM, seventh, 17th at the Wales Open, and second at the Dunhill Links, where again you had a very good chance, lost out by one shot to Ollie Wilson. It just, I just find it amazing that you string those results together, especially when you must have been dealing with uh, some injuries, and just you know, being, just taking that and getting on a run and, and enjoying it again. Yeah, I remember. I remember uh, that was my problem. I went out for a run and I, I tore my ligaments in my foot, and I was out for about a month and a half. Um, and and the funny thing was that I went back to play, and I couldn't swing it the way I wanted to swing it because my foot wouldn't work properly. And it took me about probably took me about a month and a half, maybe two months to recover. Uh, and then a further month to try and teach the foot to work in the direction that I wanted to work it, um, and 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 that was just staying patient. A lot of that was just staying patient and trying to keep the belief and realizing that there is some things that are outside of my control. Can I can I do anything about them? No. Can I control what I'm doing with regards to recovery practice and having a good attitude? Yes. So let's just focus on that. Yeah, and again the following year as well, we, we go on to we alluded to the Morocco win earlier, but you'd you went into Morocco off the back of four miscuts and a withdrawal, um, and then suddenly you win. And we spoke, didn't we, at the start of the show that it's hard for an outsider looking in to go, well, where on earth has that come from? But I'm sure yeah. you can you can spread some light on on how that happens because obviously I think again maybe it was a bit of health and niggling injuries and things like that, but. It just seems to be that you sort of come out of nowhere, which we know is not the case, having chatted through what we've just gone through. But that must be a great feeling to be able to switch it on when you get the chance. Yeah, that was nice. I, I always remember that because when you're in the in the depths somewhere where you're searching for your game or your what you would say is you know you're, you've gone to maybe a dark place, you remember that that you can turn it round and and switch things on. So. Um, yeah, I just I always used to love going back to that golf course um, in Agadir, um, a really really cool place and fantastic design and real uh, shot makers course with the 
the wind thrown in there for extra measure. Um, and, uh, yeah, I just kept on believing in what I was doing. I felt like I was doing the right things and results weren't coming. And I had to stay patient. And um, that was that was a, a week where it just everything really came together. Yeah, and then there's, like we say, you, you just you carry it on, and that's what I like about it. It's just you get that win, and you don't settle for that. Eleventh next week in the Shenzhen International, seventh in Volvo, where you actually I think you had a, a chance going into the final round. I think you might have been two back, and then also going to the Open de Espana, fifteenth. It's another great run of events where, you know, I, I think that's one of the hardest things to do from a, from outside looking in is to keep that form. We see a lot of people win. And, and maybe they missed the cut from celebrating. It might have a sore head. It might be the travel. It could be anything. But to actually just get that and run with it and say, right, well, I'm in the form. Get me to that next event and I'm going to keep it up. Because I think that's probably what has served you so well because you've, you've not had to go back and get your card. Because once you get a run of form going, you do sustain it. Yeah, I think my... Um, I think, I don't know, maybe just growing up in, in Scotland, I've always... And probably every golfer says this, you know, the element of self-belief um, and the element of confidence. Uh, and I've never been—I mean, I've, I've never been the most confident person in the world. Uh, and and I've always—it's always something I've had to work on. Um, and I felt when I play well, it just gives me that little added sort of injection of confidence or belief. And then, and then I kind of, I run with it. And if my, if my, if my head is in a really good space, um, then I feel like I can not do anything, but I feel like my chances are good. I'm going to back myself a lot more. Yeah. So, and do you think that, because that year again you had you had multiple chances to win in 2015 and you probably could have a double win season 2016 again you have a strong start um top 30 is your first six events tie sixth in china and then you come to the scottish open and you you finish tie sixth there after you wouldn't say a slow start but it, you know the others have got you know a good score in place in round one um and you actually only finished three shots adrift of, of first place in the end but was it was it a case of you know fighting back because it's an event that you felt so passionate about being at home and things like that yeah i remember that i remember that week and i remember i remember coming down the stretch after having a really good day um i can't remember what it's going to be but i started off nicely and i remember playing to win on, on the back nine that was a really important thing to me because i was playing to because when you play a long time on tour it's hard to win and you don't always get the the chance and when you do get the chance you need to run with it and have sort of no regrets afterwards and um, I remember trying to make as many birdies a little bit like Pearl Valley um, and a really good attitude that day on the back nine and um, I didn't make all the birdies that I wanted to but I got very close to it um, it just was one of those days that just didn't hold the putts, and that's fine. But uh, I just um, 
I just really enjoyed that time um, where you where you competing in a, in a home open and trying to chase. And I think Alex Alex Norman won that year, yeah, um, and deservedly so. He's he's a incredible player and incredible work rate, very for me very much like a pro's pro. Um, but that was that was a cool experience for me. That's one of the things I always remember. A bit like Dunhill coming down the stretch and having a chance. I want to go out there and I want to, I want to put it kind of on the line and say it myself. You know, when I'm 70, I don't want to think, oh well, that was great. You know, that that I played for that fifth position at the Dunhill. <laughs> you know, that yeah, absolutely. That's not going to mean anything to me. Like you know, winning winning means a lot and. Um, and if you can go out there and give it your all, that's all you can do. Sometimes things are outside your control. Yeah, and uh, you know it has also that 2015 victory was uh, your last on the European tour, and you had that period between 2017 and 2019 where you you maybe weren't in contention as much as you're used to, but you had plenty of top tens and you had good weeks. You were second at the Irish Open behind John Rahm, I think. Must have been playing a different golf course that week because he yeah. finished. He finished stretched away from the field, didn't he? But does it does it still give you confidence, even when you know because you've had a few injury problems and you know there's there's younger guys out on tour now and, and people that keep coming through. Does it still give you confidence every single year in that in that period of time where you haven't won? You've still had top finishes because I know there was an interview of yourself back in 2019 where you talked about you might you might sort of hang it up at 40 and things like that because you may have done what you wanted to do and the passion might go away but do those those looking back through those Canada years and seeing four top 10s in 2019 another one 2018 the second 2017 does that does that give you like you say maybe you weren't the best at being so confident in yourself but that gives you the belief to keep driving forward yeah I think I think you just talking about the top 10s that that kind of helps <laughs> confidence, to be honest uh yeah it's Golf, golf's, golf's a funny one. It's given me everything that I could. Have, I, I couldn't have dreamed. Like you know, if, if you'd said when I was fourteen, this is what you're going to do, I couldn't have written it better. It's had some ups and downs, but the 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 journey's been brilliant. And my my goal at the moment is to play till till I'm forty, and I still feel that. I'm relevant, and being in contention is still one of the things that drives me the most because that's that's the most fun you have on the golf course is when you're in contention, um, particularly on a Sunday afternoon and coming down the stretch. And um, I probably haven't believed in myself enough over the last year. There's a lot of stuff that's gone on. Um, you know, when you get a little bit older, priorities change. I, I still... I still want to be there and I still really enjoy like the training and like the, the purpose and the, the, the sense of accomplishment it gives you, not just in going out and playing the tournament, but in getting up in the morning early and, and stretching, going to the gym and, and practicing um, because you feel like you're doing something with your life and and you feel like you're accomplishing something, which... In itself is is very gratifying, very um, satisfying. But but the the carrot on the end of the stick is always going out there and doing it in competition. Um, and I still really love that. But at the same time, 
I still have this. I don't know what it is. This other kind of idea that when it's when it's when I don't feel I'm relevant and when I don't feel like I'm competitive, when I don't feel I can go to a tournament and I'm just making up the numbers, I don't want to be there. Like that doesn't make that doesn't um, that's not something I want to do. I, I just don't feel like. You know, I don't feel like just making up numbers something that, that would satisfy me. I need to be competitive. I need to be in a place where I feel I can go out and compete with the majority of guys there and I can get in contention. Um, and I still feel that. Um, I don't know how long, you know, that might, that may not, may not last for, May last ten years. It might it might last two years. I mean, my goal at the moment is to play to forty, and re- reassess things and 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 go from there. Um, my daughter is my number one focus, and with with COVID and everything, it makes you reassess not just your golf, but it, may, it makes you reassess your life and makes it makes you reassess what's important. And um, I didn't understand. You know, a good example is like the Lorena Ochoa thing where she just said, like, that's enough. I'm going to go away and start a family. Yeah. I When I was younger, I didn't really get that. I I get it now. I totally get it. <laughs> but, that, uh, but that's the thing, isn't it? When you're a high-performing athlete, a golfer, and at the top of the game, it's very easy to make your whole life about golf. You know, you, you have your wife and you have your family. And, and but until maybe you have your daughter Olivia you know there's there's things that kind of that change in your priorities switch because you, you but you look and I and I love the fact that you said you still feel competitive because when you look at the three top tens you had at the end of 2019 I'm gonna I'm gonna remind you of them just so you can uh to put you up there because you were sixth at the BMW PGA um and the only people to finish ahead of you Billy Horschel Patrick Reed Bezweden Hout Rahm and Willett that's not a bad bit of company to be in you're yeah, ahead yeah. of ahead of Rose and Rory there so you know great there fifth at, you know open to France again which is a tournament you love and and you're only four back um and you know the Dunhill links as ever you you know you're a feature so if you take out you know the the interrupted season you've just had in COVID and, and I can just tell from that period of what you were just saying there that there was other things on your mind right there's, there's more than just golf in there you can't you can't focus on just golf when there's something going on in the world like it is especially with a young family and I think a lot of players even you know Tommy Fleetwood was saying I think he felt uncomfortable for a lot of period of last year because it was just such an uncertainty he didn't want to go and play in America you didn't want to fly abroad you were you know but the travelling of hopping between England and, and the UK events kind of took its toll as well so it's hard to assess where you were not just from a golfing standpoint but from a life standpoint because there's so much uncertainty going on over the last couple of seasons yeah you just um, I, th- I think the biggest thing is you, you learn that you're not invincible yeah like when I was younger I used to you know get on a flight I would go down to London. I remember going, I think, I would fly it to Malaysia. I played Malaysia. I wasn't even in Malaysia. I got in late, played Malaysia, and someone said, well, you know, you might might get in might get in Perth next week in Australia. All right, book a ticket there, down there. Right, that's fine. 
Um, week after that, right, you've got a week off. What are you going to do? Oh, I don't know what I'm going to do. Right, I'll stay down here for a week. Right, what's after that was I went in China. Well, getting that, I'm not too sure. Right, we'll fly up there. <laughs> it's it's like, I remember one year starting off, I, I, I played, I can't remember which year it is. Um, I'd played, had a really good season. I think I'd finished the end of the season somewhere along the lines of like, something like Singapore, China, Turkey, Dubai. And I went home and I moved flat for a week. Then I flew to Minnesota to, to see, at the time, my girlfriend. I flew back. I went down to Durban to play Volvo. I came up and I played at a week of practice. And then I played Abu Dhabi. And I got to guitar, and I remember getting there in the morning, and I went to hit balls. And I couldn't hit the five iron 150 yards. <laughs> and I, I hit, like, five balls, and I was just like, F this. Like, yeah. I went to see the doctor, and I'm sitting there, and I remember there was a there was a, a world map up on the wall. And she's like, well, what, you know, talk me through what you've been doing. You know, to, have you been taking anything? And I was like, no, no. And, and I said, well, I've been traveling a bit. And she's like, talk me through that. And I just, I thought, and she's like, she looked at me. Traveling a bit. <laughs> she, she, she looked at me and, and and I was just like, yeah, yeah, now I'm telling you, I'm seeing it. Saying you know, it out loud, yeah. Yeah, you're not, you're not invincible and you, and you need to pace yourself. You want to accomplish things and you want to do stuff for your life. But, um, when things are taken away from you, it's only then you realise the true value of them. Yeah, um, yeah. And and with with last year and with everything that's going on, and still going on, you have you it would be it wouldn't be right if you didn't think that way a little bit. You know, I can understand Tommy's got a young family as well, and. Um, you just want to you want to take care of them. You want to make sure they're okay, and and uh, and when they're not, golf goes out the window. You know, I don't care about golf. No, that doesn't really bother me. No, absolutely, Richie. Before I, I let you go, just a couple more things. Obviously, you know, we've spoken there about getting to forty and reassessing. What what would put a real spanner in the works between now and then for you to go? This is really really tough decision to make because. Say you go on and you win every season until that happens. Do you then does it become impossible to walk away, or do you think you'd still would it still just be wherever you are in life, you are in life? Because sometimes it's not even the worst thing to to walk away at your best. Yeah, uh, I think I think for me, like forty is like the the point where I look at it. Yeah, it's not the point that I definitely walk away, but it's the point where I seriously that's that's my goal that's my road that's where i'm going um and if i was to win every year i know that i'd still be competitive so i'd be shocked if i wasn't still motivated to keep on playing um and and enjoy the and enjoy the training and things like that but but yeah even with the wins if the training becomes a bit if you if you not want to do all that stuff, it's kind of gets to the point where you're just like, oh, I just feel like, like not doing it. Like, 
you know, someone, someone's, I, I once read something and, and someone said, if you had a month to live, what would you do? How would you spend it? Yeah. And, and yes, I love golf. I love playing and socializing, going out with my mates. But, you know, that just, like if you had a month, if you had a month to live, that wouldn't, and your money wasn't a concern. That's not golf. Playing golf's not on my list. You know, it's 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 you know, it sounds funny, but it's it's like <laughs> it's like going to the pastry section and in Stockbridge with my daughter and sitting on a bench, and her having a cinnamon roll and me having a honeymoon slice and a coffee <laughs> and sitting there and going and playing in the park and kicking the ball with her and getting her to ride her bike and getting her to splash in puddles and um you know running along the beach with the waves that you know that that stuff like that's just the best thing in the world for me like i, I absolutely love it and i can't get enough of it yeah and so it, it sounds very like trivial and very ordinary but i really kind of believe like those those little things are honestly like the moments where you just think I, I don't want to do anything else like this is this is really where I want to be you're fully immersed in it and it's just like the joy someone can give you uh, is just absolutely brilliant and I think when you're a professional golfer and you're away so much you 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 really appreciate those things a little bit more and that's the, and to build on that because it's lovely to hear you speak like that and and do you think that actually I mean the travel aspect obviously makes it a lot tougher because you're leaving a family behind but does it make it easier having that in your life that if you have a bad week you go okay well life's good because I'm going to go back to my family and see them and I'll do it two days earlier rather than back in the early part of your career where like the missed cup could feel like the end of the world and what on earth's going on with my golf game now it kind of puts that into perspective a little bit as well yeah it it, it does like Olivia doesn't Olivia doesn't. <laughs> well, she she wants she, she she wants a trophy. She said. Yeah, to me. I bet. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, yeah. It, it. You know, when you speak to her, just everything kind of disappears. Like, but she she does, she does like checking my scorecard though on the phone. That's nice. <laughs> she, she sent she sent me a message the other week. I played in I played in Saudi, and uh, I took a little video for her. I made I made a hole in one on the. So at the start of the week, she said, Daddy, if you make a hole in one or you get the trophy, you get a honeymoon slice. <laughs> the pastry section in Edinburgh is is like her favorite shop. So I was like, OK. So I played the practice round and anyway, make a hole in one. Brilliant. So I, I do a little video. I send it to her. Olivia, a hole in one. You know, Daddy gets honeymoon slice. Anyway. The response comes back, a voice message comes back, it says, Daddy, hole in ones only count on tournament. <laughs> <laughs> so so uh, she knows what she's talking about. Um, yeah, she's well cleared up there, isn't she? Yeah, so she uh, she just likes seeing, she likes seeing, she loves eagles. Eagles are her favourite thing. So every time I hit it close to a par five, I'm like, I need to chip in. <laughs> or I hit it on a par five and two, I need to make a long putt. So, um, it's little things like that that I find fun, but um, yeah, having them to uh, to bounce back off and 
knowing that it doesn't matter to her really if I shoot 69 or 79 is, is pretty cool. Yeah, absolutely. One, one last thing before I let you go, Richard, I know I've taken a lot of your time. We spoke about the favourite thing for you on a golf course is particularly firm and fast. You think you have an advantage there, you know, tighter fairways, etc. Big debate going on, obviously, right now about what they need to do to courses. And there's a lot of misunderstanding that if you lengthen it, that's the answer. And you bring up the rough, that's the answer. Because no, yeah. that just takes out all the shorter hitters. It makes it even worse because if they uh-huh. miss a fairway, you know, it's absolutely all over. I spoke with Charlie Ford in the podcast previously, and we said that you can't replace firm and fast. Like, you know, the, the goal, the best golfers, even the long guys, will still win around there. But it does, it kind of evens out the playing field. And I imagine you would have echoed those comments as well. Yeah, I mean, we are very fortunate. We we can play in firm and fast conditions on a regular basis because yeah. of links golf. America, they're not always. They just don't have the, the same type of soil. I mean, they're only, they, and they don't really play any of those courses, no. um, or none that I know of, um, apart from the U.S. Open. Yeah, everybody says to me, "Oh, yeah, rough's the answer." Yeah, well, rough's not is not the answer. <laughs> I can guarantee you that. Um, it's it's difficult because. A lot of courses are going that way. They're just they they start to become, you know, the bunkers start to end up in the rough, and it just ends up ends up like a small tunnel. Yeah. And it's like, well, if you're going to miss it, you might as well be miles up there. Um, whereas, you know, there was a perfect example. Uh, we played even I don't know if you played the Majlis, but the second hole, um, it's. Uh, at the Majlis at Dubai Desert Classic. Right, yeah. Is that the, the fairway slope left to right and it feeds down into water and then it climbs up and it's still pretty narrow and you can either drive it right up there or you can lay up. And the angle of the green sits a little bit like the 12th hole at Augusta with a bunker in the front. So if you short side yourself with the drive on the right, you lose your angle. But it's it's there's rough there, so you've got a cushion, so you can fl- flop it way up high and drop it down. Now, the fairway is really narrow all the way down, so hardly anybody lays up. Everybody hits driver because they know if they miss it, the rough will slow the ball down and they will have the cushion to flop it up over the bunker and be able to stop it. Um, you know, I'm with the favour where you where you're like, well, if you widen the layup area, some people would stand there and go, well, that's an easy shot. I'm going to take that on. Yeah. I'm going to lay it up there. But hardly anybody does it. Everybody does the same thing because the, the fairway is literally the same width uh, all the way up. And if you hit an iron on that line and you just slightly tug it and you're in the rough, you've got no shot. Um, so, yeah, width and angles is really important. Obviously, the old courses, the... The blueprint, and unfortunately, the the way technology getting or has got the, the the angles are being diminished year on yeah. year, um, and um, and that's 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 a tough thing to deal with. Um, I, I'm just I just I just love courses where there's options. Um, 
where there isn't a and this favors me, but you know, there isn't a if you're gonna if you're gonna take on a risk or if you're gonna take on a on a on a on a shot, there's gotta be an element of risk to it. Yeah. Um, and there's a there's a, there is an element of thought to where you're going to place your ball off the tee, um, and and the firmness really works in that because if you've got a right to left, if you've got a right to left slope, um, and the wind's off the right, uh, I see a lot of people, even pros, just stand up there and just hit my normal shot. I said, well, just hit a fade and not hold the fairway, <laughs> you know. And that that's the kind of stuff I like. Whereas it almost make it says to you, right, you're going to have to hit a fade here, hit the fairway. It's going to maximise your your area um so yeah it's i think something has to be done i don't know if they're going to be able to roll it back because it's gone so far but i feel that a line in the sand needs to be drawn um my particular viewpoint of it people have talked about the ball but that the element that the size of the driver has made a huge difference to driving since I've been on tour. Massive. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's no fear factor yeah. in hitting a driver now, is there? Because the, the miss hits are better than ever, aren't they? It, it's the easiest club to hit in the bag. Yeah. Easiest club to hit in the bag by a mile. It's like, oh, what are we going to do here? Uh, well, hit the driver. I mean, that's biggest. <laughs> you know, that that shouldn't be... The, it, it should be the opposite. Yeah. Um, and, and the dispersion, the miss, and the, the, the spin... Has has really changed since I've been on tour, um, and I think that's a that would be something that's I would look at to be a change um, to to make. I'm not saying if don't hit don't hit a long ball, but if you're going to hit it long, and if even at, if I'm going after a a drive. I know that I need to hit it off the middle in order to get the maximum out of it. If I just miss it, it's going to cost me quite a few yards, and the dispersion's going to be off. Because um, when it's when it's a smaller club, you forget as well. It's not just the physical challenge of putting club on ball; it's the mental challenge. Yeah, the fear you, factor of it. Yeah. Yeah, if you stand on the first tee, anybody <laughs> on this, and you wing one way right, and you, <laughs> you stand might do it on again that soon. Second tee, what's in your head it's yeah, going to be that shot you hit on the first and um, professionals are not immune to that no absolutely not no and that's the thing isn't it is there i think that for me it's there's always there's, there's people in different camps right and they think it's a certainty and it's an easy decision like you said i don't think you can just roll it back i don't think you can do any one thing it's just trying to find the answer and i think golf will eventually i think there's also not a reason to panic and abandon the game just because people are hitting it longer. I think there's ways around it all the time that the, the shorter hitters are mixing it in the leaderboard. I mean, like Soren Kjeldsen last week in Saudi Arabia, all the time he's at the top of leaderboards with Dustin Johnson. You know golf is still capable. The courses are still suiting. So it's, it's just a case of trying to find a solution that, you could say it works for everyone. It's never going to work for everyone because someone's going to get a little bit upset if they take, take away some bigger head drivers. But... That I think the, the important factor is there is no easy answer to it, I guess. Yeah, I think there's a few things I would say is like driver head size. I think bifurcation needs to be seriously considered. Yeah. Um, you know, the cost of building new courses 
um, yeah, it's great if you've got an owner who's got, you know, a bottomless pit of money. But most clubs don't. You know, no, they, no. you know, all the clubs that I've played, you know, people say, oh well, it's it's only zero point zero one percent of of the population. Yeah, but all the clubs I've played, I know all the clubs around Edinburgh. They've all got new tees. They've all got new bunkers, and that's because of the distance. Um, but at the same time, you're trying to get people into the game and trying to make it a little bit easier. So I can see how the equipment really benefits people in that respect. Um, and I would also say that if a decision is made, that needs to be working with the companies like TaylorMade, Titleist and Callaway because they invest a lot into golf and they employ a lot of people within golf. Yeah, and their their timelines for things are, they're not months, they're years. The R and D is way ahead, so you need to be respectful of that. And I think that's why it's good to see stuff has been done, but I would have loved to seen something in, you know, two thousand and five, two thousand and six, and and someone say, you know what, in twenty ten, in five years time, we will change it, and that's five years is more than enough time for companies to adapt and 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 maybe if a bifurcation is an issue you know gives them two options you know the, the sort of elite level of players but also the the um the um forgiving clubs that that help the amateurs and if the amateurs want to play with the pros clubs then great go ahead and do that but it's going to mm. be a bit harder so yeah, yeah there's lots to discuss i just feel that something needs to be done sooner rather than later because they've talked and talked about it less talk more action yeah no i completely agree richie i'm going to let you go because i've taken an awful lot of your time but thank you so much for coming on hopefully it was a nice trip down memory lane for yourself uh, to sort of recount some of those great performances wish you all the very best obviously for 2021 and beyond and uh, and hopefully we can get back to some sort of normality throughout the year and and your golf especially comes back to the form you want it to be in Thanks very much. Yeah, I'll keep on. I'll be thinking about all those top tens. That's good. Yeah, that's it. yeah. Keep those fresh in the bank. And uh, if you ever need a reminder, I'll, I'll be here to let you know. All right, top man. Thank you very much. Cheers, Richard. Thanks. Thanks.